Welcome to the Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast, the podcast all about the delicate balance between people and business, and quite literally, reconnecting the two. My name is Tracy Rubin, and I've spent nearly my entire professional career in HR. Join me as I share stories, opinions, and words of advice with you each week. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the HR Tracy YouTube channel. Thank you so much for being here. And this week, I'm talking about whether or not employers can mandate that employees receive the COVID vaccine. So this is really um, a hot topic right now. A lot of publications are sharing their opinions and a lot of um, government organizations, especially in the United States, are providing some guidance on this. So this week, I'm going to talk about pretty much like three major points to give you some clarity around um, just the facts and, and what is already out there. And this is really from the scope of uh, an American or the United States and specific to U.S. organizations. So if you're not in the U.S. and you're interested in learning more, I definitely encourage you to go to your country or state or province's um, websites and you know government entities to learn more about what is mandated, required, or allowed in your region, country, province, etc. So to begin, there actually was um, a federal lawsuit filed by a New Mexico detention center officer, and essentially the um, county, the reason why the lawsuit was filed was because the county that this detention officer worked for mandated that all essential frontline workers be vaccinated. Um, And so the employee is basically saying, hey, it's my legal right to refuse the vaccine. And so this employee opened a federal lawsuit saying that he has the right to refuse this. So this sparked a lot of debate. As you can imagine, it's the first lawsuit so far. There might be others. There probably will be others. So the topic of discussion or the way that I'll frame this discussion is not going to focus on my own opinion unless I say in my opinion. Um, Everything that I am going to draw on from today is based on what I have found as far as like legal guidance goes and what I've found, um, again, from these U.S. government entity websites like, for example, the EEOC and the FDA. So speaking of the EEOC, the EEOC stands for the Equal Employment Opportunities Commission, and they provide guidance on a lot of different um, labor issues and statutes and perspectives. And one of the most obvious or most well-known place where the EEOC comes into play is actually with the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act. And the EEOC kind of gives guidance to employers on what is allowed, what's tolerated, what's expected, what's legal, etc. So with regard to the ADA, for example, the EEOC says that there are certain requirements from employers to provide reasonable accommodation. So keep this in mind as we continue on in this discussion because the um, the this element of reasonable accommodations will come up and this is a theme that will come up throughout the rest of the this episode and video. So in December of 2020, the EEOC essentially um, released some guidance saying that employers can mandate and require employees Um, to be vaccinated with specific guidance focused on what can and cannot happen after the employee is vaccinated. So to break that down, the EEOC hasn't necessarily said you can require. However, the EEOC has provided guidance saying after an employee is mandated to be vaccinated or when an employer mandates the vaccine. So they're giving some 
uh, teasers into what is tolerable, essentially insinuating that it is tolerable for an employer to say you, you're mandated to receive the vaccine. Now, to, to kind of step away from this and zoom out, um, there are all of these questions that come up for an employee or an individual as it relates to the vaccine, and that's there are religious considerations. There are considerations if people are have a disability. And so all of these things come into play. However, the EEOC isn't really saying, no, you can't mandate it. They're actually saying, here's what you can and cannot do when you mandate it or if you mandate it as an employer. So I think this is interesting because there has been a lot of discussion around this, and it's interesting because they are kind of like being very intentional about how they frame their guidance. So to move on from that, there's also been discussion around the element of vaccines being approved by the FDA for emergency use authorization, or EUA, as you might see it online. And so this is where a lot of the discussion has kind of shifted in that, sure, employers can mandate the vaccine potentially, but can they mandate or require the vaccine if it's still in the phase of being used as or under the pretext of emergency use authorization? And so the, the employee making this claim and filing the federal lawsuit is saying, I am not required while the FDA is still under, again, under that context. So it's, uh, it's something to consider when we think about the journey of the vaccine, like will the vaccines eventually be um, delivered by the FDA outside of emergency use? Will they be just standard practice? Is it going to be like the flu shot? So this is where I think the EEOC is kind of um, potentially setting themselves up for like future readiness so that if the vaccines do move away from emergency use authorization, potentially if you have, for example, a healthcare worker or frontline essential worker, that they then would be required to get the vaccine, just like the flu shot, again, unless there are some reasonable accommodations that need to be made. Now, this is where I told you to kind of bookmark the reasonable accommodations perspective, because reasonable accommodations are still required to be provided by employers, even if they they mandate that an employee receives the vaccine. So for example, reasonable accommodations are always the case as required for employers. Like Employers are required by law, again in the U.S., to provide reasonable accommodations. So if someone has a, a religious or medical reason, for example, whether it's a disability or otherwise, then they can request accommodation from their employer. So in this case, with the employee from New Mexico who is filing a federal lawsuit, the argument against the lawsuit would be, well, did you request a reasonable accommodation from your employer? If not, why not? Because actually, if you are requesting reasonable accommodation based on um, a protected reason, whether it's religion, age, medical status, veteran status, it really could be anything then a reasonable accommodation will need to be considered. And so that accommodation conversation or the ADA um, process, again, Americans with Disabilities Act requires um, employers to kind of go through a very specific process for vetting accommodation requests. And so once that's done, an employer can say, okay, this is our reasonable accommodation. You're requesting not to be required um, for receiving the vaccine. And so either your request has been approved or denied. Um, employers can deny reasonable accommodation requests or accommodation requests because the accommodation is not reasonable. Um, and this is where kind of some of the legal 
um, elements come in. And, and I certainly, if you're an HR professional or if you are, you know, in a position to make accommodations for individuals and employees, you should definitely consult an attorney if you are, you know, not experienced or haven't necessarily set a precedent around accommodations, for example. So in the event that this employee did have a reason to be reasonably accommodated, the county would be obligated to accommodate that employee. One of the best examples I could probably think of is that if a woman is pregnant and one of the employees being required by the county in New Mexico, for example, and so that pregnant woman could say, hey, you know, this is, you know, I have a doctor's note, this is my accommodation request, and then the employer can, um, you know, assess and then decide whether they approve the accommodation based on whether it's reasonable or not. In that case, probably reasonable, especially if there's a doctor's note involved. So understanding now that the EEOC has provided guidance on this, that there is language around after mandating the vaccine or after employers em, employers mandate the vaccine, we can understand that, or we, we should move to understand what employees have the right to do or not to do. So there's been some discussion on whether or not an employee can refuse the vaccine. This is where this whole lawsuit is coming from, right? The EEOC, again, is very intentional about how they answer their questions within their guidelines. Um, and, and sometimes I think that this can add to the confusion for how it's interpreted. But the whole idea is that it's interpreted based on how you interpret it. So the EEOC might give specific guidance, right? And in some cases, they're giving specific guidance on what you can and cannot do after mandating the vaccine, for example. But they might not say employers can mandate it um, because that's where interpretation and the interpretation of the law, for example, comes into play. So Anyway, let's move on from that point. I think I think we we got the message, right? The FDA is actually where the language of refusal comes from. So the FDA actually has an obligation to inform any recipient of the vaccine about the potential benefits and risks. So the extent to to where the benefits and risks, you know, lie are unknown in the sense that the FDA is giving this broad spectrum of benefits and risks um, based on the trials that they've done. And I should note, I have received both doses of the vaccine. So, you know, again, this is, I'm not uh, telling you what to do. I'm not a medical professional. I'm not, uh, you know, an expert in law, but I am sharing that actually from my own experience, I also received that fact sheet of the benefits and the risks of the vaccine as required by the FDA. And, and it was a very thorough process. And I knew going in that I wanted to get the vaccine and, and you know, I want us to move forward as a, as a global community. But that is my, um, that was my decision, right? So as an individual, I had an opportunity to say, okay, I know the benefits, I know the risks, because that's what is required by the FDA to make me aware of those benefits and risks. And now I can decide whether or not I want the vaccine. So I decided I want the vaccine. I'm giving you a very specific example here. In that fact sheet that I mentioned, it actually says the recipient has the option to accept or refuse the vaccine. Every step of the process where you, you know, go to register, you, you go to make your appointment, every step of the way shares that this is not, you know, required and that actually here are the benefits and the risks. 
associated potentially, because all benefits and risks are potentials, right? It's not guaranteed either way um, what could or could not happen. And so that opportunity to refuse is there for the individual. But where um, some of the discussion is coming into play between the EEOC and the FDA is whether the um, refusal or the right to refusal is linked to employment and whether or not that's linked to actually receiving the vaccine. So based on the FDA's fact sheet and what we see from the EEOC, it seems as though the refusal comes into play with refusing the vaccine. So this this language specifically allows employees the right to refuse the vaccine from the FDA or the vaccine provider, for example, whether it's Pfizer or Moderna or J&J or AstraZeneca, not necessarily that the condition of employment is based on receiving the vaccine. To come back to this, to really uh, be clear, that right of refusal is based on receiving the vaccine, not necessarily the right for the employer to see that as a condition of employment. So again, it's a little gray, and that's what HR is. It's all about the gray. There, It's very rarely black and white. Um, and so an employer can decide, okay, well, the employee has a right to refuse the vaccine when they're ready to receive it or when they're in line to receive it or whatever. But as an employer, I can't necessarily terminate someone for not receiving the vaccine. So where do we find that that middle ground, essentially? I would think, and this is, this is uh, coming into my opinion here, um, I think it's probably in the best interest of the organization to strongly encourage the vaccine because it's one of those things, you know, we're talking about a super lethal virus that every single person has a responsibility in preventing the spread of, right? Every single human being on this planet can spread, transmit, or become sick from the virus. And so we all have a responsibility as members of the global community to support in reducing the spread or preventing the spread of the virus. And if the vaccine is one of the ways in which we can do that, then that's something that we can strongly encourage. However, making the vaccine required is potentially not the way to go because there are so many moral, religious, medical questions that come into play for so many people. And ultimately, it is a personal decision. And I think that actually this is where the government needs to make a decision on whether it's required or not. So part of that is making sure that it's readily available to people. And I recognize in the U.S. we've been made, you know, the vaccine in many states has been um, widely available to many more people than countries in, in other parts of the world. I would think that to avoid any, you know, litigation, it's probably best if an organization is kind of on the fence to really consult with an attorney, but potentially to consider incentivizing vaccinations, um, you know, promoting time off so that people can go and receive their vaccinations, whatever that looks like. Um, but if an organization does mandate the vaccine or mandate um, vaccinations, then it's based on what I'm reading, it's strongly suggested that they have very clear policies um, around what that means and that it's not necessarily a condition of employment. So for example, if a company or a, a county, like in this case in New Mexico, is requiring um, receiving the vaccine for all frontline workers, then having clear policies around if you are not comfortable receiving the vaccine, you must request accommodation 
as the first policy and then the second policy meaning or sharing that an employee cannot be terminated for refusing to receive the vaccine if they have been um, approved for a reasonable accommodation. It's a little messy though. Like I could see as I'm saying that, that it's, it's a little too gray, I think at this time, because it's still such a, a new conversation and we're still waiting on a lot of guidance that if organizations are requiring it, they should really make sure that they are being scrupulous, that they're doing their due diligence and really ironing out all of the questions and making sure that employees um, understand their rights in being reasonably accommodated if there is a religious or medical or otherwise um, accommodation that they need. Moving away from this conversation of um, the vaccine, I have received a few questions anonymously submitted through my submission form, which I do have in my link tree. So when you go to the show notes um, in the podcast or on YouTube, you can click my link tree and there's actually the anonymous submission form there. So feel free to submit any questions that you have as well. Um, but one of the questions that I received was, how are you approaching team engagement during COVID? And Honestly, there are so many ways that I'm approaching this, but I, I want to be clear that it's not just the HR person who focuses on team engagement. Everyone has skin in this game, right? I, I say this all the time. We all have skin in the game. Culture comes from everyone. It's not top down. It's not bottom up. Certainly, if culture is not supported top down or if it's not, you know, if the energy isn't there, if the appreciation isn't there, then it's not going to work bottom up. But ultimately, we all play a role in um, in what that looks like, including with team engagement. And team engagement has been really challenging during COVID. It's been challenging for the corporate team. It's been challenging for our field team. It's, it's, it's been challenging for everyone because how do you, how do you take a 50% remote workforce, 50% not remote workforce and connect them? How do you keep those two entities engaged on their own? I mean, it's, it's a very complex challenge. However, some of the things that we've done and, and that I'm really proud of are um, our focus on PTO. Making time for time off is a big thing that we talk about. And, and one of the things that we've done is allowed any PTO that wasn't taken in 2020 to roll over to 2021. So it gives everyone a bit of flexibility and really taking necessary time and being flexible, maybe taking two days here, two days there, a week off, um, and really you know working with each other to support one another's time off. The other thing is that we're celebrating wins, big and small. And I think that's so important because we can get so stuck in the like day to day that we're not thinking about um, all of the things that we're proud of and that we've accomplished. And I'm definitely guilty of this. Sometimes I get like so um, focused on what's going on or what's right in front of me, or I get frustrated by something that I forget that there are so many wins attributed with the previous week or previous month and 2020. I mean, I'm so proud of what we were able to accomplish in 2020 that it's, it's nice to reflect on that. And even if it's, even if the celebration is reflection, I think that making time for that is really important. And then finally, I think what we've done that, again, I'm really proud of is focusing on DE&I and, and employee well-being. And if you listen to um, the episode from two weeks ago where we talked about why wellness and DE&I is the path to harmony when linked together, that's, that's exactly how wellness and well-being and team engagement kind of come together with DE&I is that when we focus on 
giving the opportunity to everyone, equitable opportunities, inclusive opportunities, and that we have, you know, the focus on diversifying our workforce and also making room for employee well-being and focusing on wellness, that lends to team engagement in the short, medium, and long term. So when you think about wellness, for example, I mean, you're you're prioritizing every single person. Wellness is for everyone. And so when you spend time focused on well-being and looking at feedback about workload and thinking about ways to streamline and make things more efficient, you are inherently creating a more engaged population because we know it's not just us, it's everyone all around the world is spread thin because teams have become leaner, people have been laid off, people have been furloughed, whatever that looks like. And so there's more responsibility on individuals than ever before. And so understanding how we can streamline or make workloads more efficient or more palpable is part of driving team engagement. And really, I think that that's mostly in the long run because workload doesn't necessarily change so much in the short term unless there are drastic changes, but it can really change in the long run if there's an intentional focus on that. The other question which I received um, through Instagram actually is if I've ever worked somewhere that made me question my morals. Uh, The short answer is no, but the longer answer is I have worked for someone who made me question my morals. Uh, not in the sense of like, do I need to change my morals? But in the sense that uh, they ch- it, she challenged my morals. And so I had to make a decision to leave. And I talked about this in episode 18, um, titled My Experience with Bad Leadership. And it was working for that leader where my morals were constantly questioned because uh, she had morals that were unethical for sure this is not like subjective or an opinion like she wanted me to exclude people those are those are bad morals I'm just gonna say it as it is and um you know I wasn't willing to I wasn't willing to negotiate my morals that worked against hers and so you know there was always this uh conflict because she wanted me to do something that I saw was unethical. Um, and I refused and I would say, we're not doing this. Like, We're going to take a moral and ethical approach with integrity and we're going to do the right thing. And so I didn't work for a company like for sure. I mean, this was at Target. Target had never made me question my morals or, or, um, made me like lose my morals. It was always a true like values fit, but that leader was, uh, it was rough. And so, um, having someone like that, where my morals were put to question in the sense that, you know, she, um, she challenged ethics and she challenged morality and integrity. That was when I was like, okay, a year is about enough of that. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. And again, listen to that episode. I did everything that I was expected to do that I needed to do that I would have advised someone else to do. And then I was like, all right, you know, that's it. We're going to wipe our hands clean of this and move on. And um, if anyone listening to this or watching this is in a, a situation where you are constantly at odds thinking that you have to, or in a position where you have to sacrifice your morals or ethics or integrity for someone else or, or the company, it sounds like a place that you probably need to make a change away from because once you once you give up who you are and your morals and your ethics and what you believe in 
you're not being authentic. You're not yourself. You're, you know, why are you there? So it's, it, sometimes it's hard to make a change even when you're in a space that isn't uh, giving you what you need or allowing you to be who you are, but it's worthwhile to make the change because you are being true to yourself. So thank you for those questions. I love to answer your questions. And I know that a lot of you like to hear me answer those questions. So please make sure that you use my link tree in the show notes and, um, you know, submit a question. You can also reach out to me in my DMs. However works for you is fine. It doesn't have to be anonymous. Um, but certainly I'm, I'm always happy to keep things confidential as your HR partner. Thank you so much for uh, being here with me for yet another week. Tune in next week for a discussion on social media etiquette. Um, this is something that actually came up as a question from one of my coworkers. So I'm excited to dig into that. Um, and that too, it's going to be a lot of like talking through the gray, which is what HR is all about. Thank you so much. Please be sure to connect with me on Instagram and Clubhouse. You know, I have events every week and I look forward to speaking with you further outside of this platform. Let me know what you think of this video um, by giving this video a thumbs up and subscribing. Don't forget to subscribe. I would love for you to continue to be here. And if you're listening to the podcast, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe as well. Thank you so much for being here and I will see you next week. Bye.